You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Your Bibles, turn to Psalm 37, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, I know my title is kind of a clickbait kind of title, isn't it? Uh, you know, I titled it Conspiracy Theories in the Dark Web. I, I, I actually sent it to Joe to make sure it wasn't too outrageous for you guys. Uh, I was concerned that you might miss the point of the message because of it. And uh, I thought for a minute, your minds are going to be wandering around, you know, thinking about alien lizard people. <laughs> Black holes absorbing the, the, uh, the earth. Uh, you know, who killed JFK? Is Prince Charles really a closet vampire? Was... <laughs> that one you I, I thought, are, are they going to be thinking about things like, uh, was the moon landing fake? Or is the Denver International Airport really the secret headquarters of the Illuminati? <laughs> now, I, I want you to listen carefully and, and not get lost back there, okay? I don't want you to get stuck in those, those, those thoughts. Uh, and I want, you, I want you to think about more than just the title this morning. Conspiracy theories aren't new. They're... they're, they're they certainly kind of had an uptick because of the internet and all the stuff that we've gone through in the last few years, right? But I want, I want you to hear that God is still in control and he's faithful. Amen? Amen? God is still in control and he's faithful and no secret organization, no internet company, no power broker, no government can thwart God's plan. I want you to hear that. I, I didn't come with an agenda politically or I'm not going to pick anyone's side today. But I want you to hear that God loves you and he has a plan for his people and he's provided rescue. And that's what this psalm is really about. But it fits so well into our culture. You'd almost think that David wrote it for you and I today. So I want you to look at verses 1 and 2, just for a moment, as we get, get into this. I, I know I'm not going to be able to read all 40 verses to you, so uh, we'll, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But I want you to really listen to what this psalm is about. It says, Do not fret yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we could have our minds thinking about so many things today. The world seems at times to be in total chaos. And yet today we, we come seeking your, your wisdom, your direction, and your assurance that you're still in control that you have a plan for our lives and that no earthly power, nothing in heaven on earth or earth except you can, can cause uh, 
your plan to fail. And that we shouldn't worry or be concerned, but seek you today. Trust you. And so, Lord, where, where our hearts might be filled with anxiety, Lord, would you fill us with your peace as you open your word to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, beloved, I, I, we need to trust God and we need to find a place of safety and security from these kind of dark kind of days we live in. And uh, I think we need to take a, a respite sometimes from the internet, right? <laughs> uh, I, I think we need to find him and find that place. I, I don't know what, what you felt more anxious about. Was it a few years back when COVID cases started rising? Or is it today when you look and you see the gas prices going up and up and you know everything else around you is getting more expensive and except, except your paycheck's not getting any bigger? Or whether it's hearing about wars and the rumors of wars across our world, places like the Ukraine and Eastern Europe. But God has given us a very timely message here in Psalm 37. And I want to give you just a little bit of background. Psalm 37 is an alphabetic kind of Hebrew poem. It's an uh, instructional poem written by, if you see it, by David. And so David wrote this to instruct people. And I, I think he really tackles that ancient problem, right? That ancient problem that's still a problem today. The problem of fear and envy. We fret. He says that right at the very beginning. He says, fret not. Then in verse 7, he says it again. He says, fret not yourself. Because you and I, I don't know if you're like me, but there's so many things in this world that can cause me to just fret. You know, I, I know as Christians we say, oh, we don't worry. But we sure fret right? And the Bible knows that, knows that we fret. And, and so this psalm is talking about, we, we fret about the apparent power and, and prosperity that other people have. We fret, uh, and, and that fretting begins to control our hearts and our minds. And, and so this morning, maybe your, your fretting isn't about some really crazy you know, conspiracy theory, maybe yours is more close to home. And so I want you to think about some of the things that we fret about this morning. Like the teenage girl that feels envy. She sees other girls at school dressing maybe a little provocatively, revealing, and she sees all the attention she gets and she kind of frets. She says to herself, you know, they're popular and man, I want to be like them. And she would say in her mind, she says, you know, I wish my parents weren't so strict and that I could do some of the things they do. And you know what's going on in her heart? She's envying wrongdoers. You hear it? She's envying everybody else who are doing things the wrong way. 
As an adult, we might feel the same kind of thing, but we have more grown-up scenarios, right? I mean, think about it. A single person wants to get into a relationship. Their friends have this perfect match, at least so it appears on Instagram. And she knows that her friend is sleeping with him or her. And she thinks in her mind, well, everybody's doing it. And she's envious of evildoers, wrongdoers. We see a coworker who's gotten ahead by being a little, little dishonest. Maybe he knows how to play the system at work better than anyone else, and he gets ahead. They play with the numbers. Maybe they're a master of office politics. You know people like that? They get ahead, and, and they, they know how to schmooze people. They know how to climb the ladder faster, and it's, it's hard to admit it, but you know what? We get a little jealous, right? Man, I wish I had the opportunity he did or she did. And we wonder whether we should start playing that game at work. And we're envious of wrongdoers. And then, you know what happens? Sometimes that envy turns into a hopelessness. We kind of feel like we can never get ahead. And so then we start doing our job just a little less enthusiastically, maybe kind of cut corners ourselves, because what's the difference? We're not going to get ahead, right? And that's when we start complaining about our boss and our employer. Maybe you're retired today and your friend isn't a believer down the street and he never goes to church and he seems to always have so much more free time and he has more fun, at least so it appears, on Facebook. You notice how I did that? The younger people had Instagram. All us old people, we have Facebook. <laughs> And so he looks at his neighbor and he says, man, he's, he's getting along better than me. And, and his kids and his grandkids seem to have just as many advantages and they seem to have more fun on the weekends than I do. And then he says, was it really worth it to invest that much time and energy in going to church? And you're envious of a wrongdoer. Maybe you're a man wondering whether it's worth it to stay in a really difficult marriage. She's hard. You don't know her like I do, right? And you know that other people in your life have gotten a divorce without biblical grounds. And they married a younger woman. And they just seem so much happier on Facebook and Instagram. And you're envious of a wrongdoer. Maybe you're a married woman who's struggling with respecting her husband. Her friends, her sister, are sometimes cruel and, and, and controlling, and she has worked so hard to honor God by submitting to her husband, but her friends seem happier, right? And she wonders whether she's made the wrong decision, made a mistake. And she's envious of wrongdoers. You know, we don't have time to read this entire psalm. I shared that with you earlier. 
But I hope that I can kind of pique your interest in this psalm because it's such an important message for us today. And I hope that after we're done, that you go home today and you read it through a couple times, or maybe during the week you pick it up every uh, couple days and, and you read through it and see if it doesn't apply to your situation right now. Because God is speaking to us about something real. It's not a theory. And lives are on the line. Marriages are in the balance. If we don't get a hold of this fear and envy in our day. And so I want you to notice what the, the writer David says to us. He says, if we're going to overcome fear and envy in our lives, what are we going to have to do? He says, we need to look to God. First and foremost, look at verses 3 through 9. Again, I'm not going to read all of these, but I'm going to point out some commands because there's about a dozen commands in this book. And several of them, four of them this morning, directly deal with God and our Lord. And so I want to point out to you what he says. So look at verse 3. He says, trust in the Lord. David tells us to look to God just like that. And he tells us, that the Lord is there, and trust is faith. Believing in that God's promises are true, that's trust, right? It's believing that God's promises are true, and he will never let us down. The Bible tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. When I lived in Michigan a number of years back, I was, uh, I grew up in Kansas, and we just didn't do a lot of ice fishing, you know. But when I moved to Michigan, it was cold. But this one particular winter was exceptionally cold when I was invited to go ice fishing for my first time. There's something about it for a Kansas boy that just seems a little stupid to go walk out on ice. <laughs> but I love fishing. And it had really gotten cold that year, and they told me that this lake called Torch Lake, it's one of the deepest lakes in all of North America. So it, the point I'm telling you is that it's deep and it's warm at the bottom. And so it didn't, doesn't usually turn, so it doesn't usually freeze. But this particular winter was super cold. And so he said, Dallas, I want to take you ice fishing on Torch Lake because it's frozen this year. And you can catch some of the most unique fish that you've ever seen, things you can never see in the summer or any other time because you're out there so deep. I was intrigued, call me crazy, and I said yes. And so we walked out and, and we walked out several hundred yards, you know, hundred, we walked out toward the middle of this really big lake. And finally, the guy says to me, he says to me, I think we've reached the special spot. The entire way out there, I could hear the ice cracking. Kaboom! Boom! If you've never walked on frozen ice like this, it's freaky. Because it goes pop! And then a few minutes later, it goes pop from another direction and pop. And I said, what is, what's going on? 
And he says to me, he says, oh, it's just because it's so cold. It's freezing and, and the ice is expanding. But I was scared to death. So we get out there to this special spot. And he says, I think we're here. And I said, I'm a little nervous. And I turned around. And you know what? I couldn't, I couldn't see the shore. I'd only gone a couple hundred yards. But I couldn't see the shore. You know why? Because we had sunk about six feet. <laughs> and my heart started to palpitate. Uh, I started to sweat, and it was cold. <laughs> and I said, I can't see the shore. All I see are the tops of trees. And he said, don't worry. Trust me. And you know what my guide started to do after that? Drill holes in the ice. <laughs> but you know what? At that moment, I had to learn to trust my guide. Because I was already out there way too far to run. And that's the same thing when it comes to the Lord. We have got to learn to trust him even more so than that crazy guy I was with on Torch Lake. I have to trust the guide, and you have to trust the guide. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, for not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And I want to ask you this morning, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Isaiah says, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear or the eyes has seen God besides you who acts for those who wait on him. Isaiah 64, 6. I'm 4. I'm sorry, 64, 4. And I want to ask you, do you trust him, even though you haven't heard or seen? Do you trust the Lord? Paul wrote, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Romans 8, 18. Do you trust the Lord? So here we have a passage that that David says it starts with trusting the Lord. So if we're going to overcome fear and envy, we got to trust God. Amen? Amen? But secondly, he says in verse 4, he says we need to delight in the Lord. You see that? Verse 4, trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord. I want to ask you, does God satisfy you today? And that's a really tricky question, don't you think? Does God satisfy you? Is Jesus enough? I think what David is saying is that, that God needs to be that one thing. That one thing. If we have him, we have everything. Does that make sense? That one thing that just makes life. And we are jealous of the wicked and the wrongdoer because we don't delight in the Lord. Instead, you know what we do? We are delighting in a car, in a promotion, a phone call from that guy or that girl, a bigger bank account. Those are the things we really are delighting in, right? When we envy those who are doing the wrong thing. I would... 
I would say C.S. Lewis had it really right when he wrote this. He says, it's, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we can't even imagine what is meant by the offer of going to the beach. We are far too easily pleased, folks. George Beverly Shea, I don't know, how many of you have ever heard of George Beverly Shea? Maybe two. <laughs> I'm showing my age, aren't I? George Beverly Shea used to sing a song. I, I just love it. it always, I'm always brought, it's always brought to my memory when I think of this passage. He said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be his and led by his nail-scarred hands than to be the king of a dark domain and be held by sin's dread sway. And then it says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. You see, when we open our eyes and we see Jesus, will he really be everything to us? Then the psalmist says in verse 5, commit your ways to the Lord. The word commit literally means to roll, to roll the burdens of life on God. That's what it means to commit to him. You know, we tend to hold on to all those things that bug us, right? And we fret about them. But the psalmist says, roll those on Jesus. He's big enough to handle them. Let him worry about my reputation. Let him worry about all my anxieties and cares. Peter wrote, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We need to commit our plans, our hopes, and our futures on him. But look, look at verse 7. He says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, it's been my experience, this is just my personal experience here, that I can't, can't be still till I trust God. I can't be still until I begin to find my delight in Him. I can't really be still till I, till I commit to His path. Till I commit the outcomes of life to Him. Until I do, you know what? I can't sit still for nothing. My, my, my feet twitch. My heart palpitates. My, my mind always wanders when I'm trying to read God's word. Until I trust, delight, and commit my heart to Jesus. 
The psalmist says we need to look to God. But secondly, he tells us in this passage, in this psalm, he says that we need to look ahead as well. David repeats five times in this psalm something like this. You'll see it in verses, verse 9 first. He says, the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Isn't that kind of cool? He, he repeats this five different times in verse 9, in verse 11, in verse 22, and 29, and in verse 34. The phrase, inherit the land. It goes back to when Moses led the people of Israel to the promised land. God gave them this land of Israel as an inheritance. You could look back to Numbers and to Joshua, chapter 11, verse 23 specifically. And Joshua led the people into the land before David ever wrote this psalm. You hear me? They already had possession of the land. They already had this promised place. So what was David talking about? David was not thinking of an earthly inheritance because the people already had it. What he was thinking about was something greater, eternal, a better land, a better place. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for an inheritance beyond this world. Abraham and Sarah were waiting for a better country. That's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16 says. A heavenly one. Therefore, God was not ashamed to call them their God. For he was prepared and preparing a, a city for them. You see, followers of Jesus, are you looking ahead or living in the present? Beyond a piece of real estate, to an inheritance which the, the Apostle Peter described as an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. David was looking ahead toward heaven. How about you? We can't fight fear and envy unless we are looking forward. You and I can't overcome this anxiety in our heart until we start looking to heaven. If, if you're only living for the good things that this world has to offer, you know what? You're going to be powerless to fight this sin. Jesus, our example, right? He's our Savior and our example, Jesus is. And Jesus looked ahead to the blessing God had promised him. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame. And he was seated at the right hand of the Father, the throne of God. You see, our, our Savior is this wonderful example of one who looks ahead when the wicked around him seemed to be winning. If, if you'd have been there and watched him die on the cross, you would have thought, the devil won. But we have hindsight. We know 
the rest of the story, don't we? We know that Jesus rose again, that he's alive forevermore. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God. Now, I, I want to tell you, this psalm tells us there's two really, two really, there's only two real outcomes, right? It says we can go to heaven or we can die. We can go to heaven or we'll have justice. And so, as we look at this psalm, we have heaven or those in verse 9 who are cut off, right? You see that? I told you I can't read it all to you, so you're going to have to just follow along. In verse 9, they said they're going to be cut off. We, we get heaven, but the wicked are no more. We get heaven, but God will only laugh at the wicked, it says in this psalm. We have an eternal inheritance, but the wicked get their own sword. If you look at verse 15, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. It might seem like they're getting the, that we're all going to get the short end of the stick, but you know what it says? It says the wicked are going to perish, and their arms will be broken in verse 17. We have an everlasting inheritance, but the wicked will perish in verse 20. Generosity is rewarded in this psalm, and selfishness will be cut off. What a contrast, right? If, if you do not look ahead, you're going to think the fate of, you know, the Bill Gates and the Jeff Bezos of the world is much better than yours, right? Amen? But we can look ahead. We know the end of the story. That's what the psalmist is telling us. Don't just look at what you got now. Look ahead and look to me. Now, uh, there's a pivotal couple verses. I told you I couldn't read all of it, but I want you to see verses 23. And I'm sorry, 23 and 24. Because 23 and 24 are really a pivotal kind of spot in the scripture. It says, the steps of man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Wow. Isn't that cool? I, I mean, think about what he's just saying. Do you see it? God is in control. He's sovereign over everything. And he alone establishes the steps of both the good and the evil. You think you've fallen and can't get up? <laughs> but you're not looking on this side. I mean, you're just looking on this side. You're not looking on that side of heaven where you see in eternity that God is upholding your hand. What a, what a great psalm, right? There's so many little things. My wife and I read this on the way over here a couple times. And I go, oh, I wish I could talk about that. I wish I could talk about that. There's just not enough time. So I, I dare you to go home and read this two or three times tonight. Because this is good. If you ever fret, this is where you ought to be coming. But now I, wanna, I, want, you, I want you to notice some of the, the practical advice for us this morning. Practical advice for our modern world. 
If God is really in control, how should you and I live? I mean, isn't that the really important? How, where's the rubber he, meet the road, right? Well, we should develop a lifestyle of generosity. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says, I have been young and now I am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Ooh, the reward is so fantastic in, this, in these two verses. It's, it's for the here and now, and it's for the future. Did, did you catch that? I mean, remember what he's saying. Others are going to notice you. Others are going to remember you. And your generous lifestyle will also affect your children and your children's children. They will see generosity as, a, as a, an expression of real, authentic faith that says, I trust the Lord with all my resources. I trust him. And they'll, they'll see it as that expression of love and, and faith in God, and they're going to do the same. They're going to pass it on. They're going to be the same kind of people. i, I got to tell you, your kids are never going to remember which phone you bought them in the long run because they'll have had probably 10, 20 different ones, right? They're never going to remember which gaming system you got them for the first Christmas or the second. But I think they'll remember your lifestyle that reflects Jesus. The materialism of this world will not hold on to them if we demonstrate generosity before them. We can give our children a legacy of fear and an envy, or we can give them a legacy of faith. With fear and envy comes anxiety and brokenness. I don't want to give my kids that. But with faith comes eternity and peace. And we should live a life of generosity. Then we should also live justly. Look at 27. And, and let's read and kind of think about verses, all the verses all the way through 29. <laughs> it says, turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice and he will not forsake the saints. They will preserve. They will they are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And so you and I need to live justly. We need to run away from evil wherever it, it's at. Do what is right as much as we understand it at this moment today. Do what is right. We ought to do that. But remember, we make mistakes. Do you know that? Sometimes I don't always do exactly what's right all the time. I make mistakes. That's why we need a Savior. If we could live perfectly, we wouldn't need Jesus. But we all are sinners by nature and by choice. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. But do what is right. And do not fret. Don't fret about it. I mean, fretting about a fallen world is to seek to change the unchangeable. Do you, do you do that? Do you fret about a fallen world? 
like, like you have any control over all the bad things that happen in the world, and you sit there and fret about them. This is what the psalmist is talking about, right? He says, do not fret. I'm not saying that we shouldn't confront evil when we see it. We ought to do something about it. We ought to do something about injustice. But to struggle against evil means that we examine our holiness and our person, who we are, and live to the standard that God has set for us to live and make a difference in the place where we are. Don't be distracted by all these other things. You know, for you and I to think that our efforts, we could eradicate world hunger, bring world peace, is kind of arrogant. <laughs> and it's to put ourselves in the place of God when we start worrying about all these other things so deeply that we lose Jesus and we put ourselves in God's place by doing that. And you know what? That's way too much stress. You and I are not God and we can't pretend. So be what God calls you to be. Be holy. Seek holiness in your life and do what God has called you to do. Don't get distracted from what God's word's saying to us here. Look, look at verse 1 again. Do not fret because of evil men. Then skip down to verse 39. The salvation of the righteous comes from who? The Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. Look at the last, the last little line. Because they take refuge in him. Seek justice, folks. There are some issues that you and I should do something about immediately because they're right here in front of us. And if we do not respond, we'd be in sin. To, new, to know what is right and do it not, the Bible says, is sin. But don't lose your grip on Jesus. So how do we know what's right? Well, the psalmist tells us in verse 30 and 31. He says we should stay in his word. Did you catch that? The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. All too often, we form our opinions based on our favorite news program rather than God's word. We read the internet for some version of someone else's truth and don't seek God's truth in his word. Opinions, my dad used to say, my opinions are like noses. Everyone has one. And we are often a product of who we hang out with. The righteous utters wisdom and justice because they are in God's word. So you and I should be in God's word. But look at verse 34. I'm almost done, so hang with me. These are really good practical advices. 34 says we should wait and obey, right? You see that? Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Wait and obey. Don't make the mistake of desiring something of lesser value. Take a breath. When you start to get anxious, when you start to, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you start to fret, take a breath, pray. This is something my wife teaches me all the time. Take a breath, let's pray. 
God has your best in mind. Keep looking to him and keep looking ahead. Remember, who's in control? The Lord. I don't think I got you guys convinced yet. Who's in control? Come on, help me out. <laughs> Who's in control? The Lord. Amen. I think I got the majority of you now. Oh, God is in control. And then lastly, check this out. Verse 35 through 38. It says that we should follow the Savior. All the Bible points to Jesus. Did you know that? Even the Old Testament keeps pointing us to Jesus. And in this psalm, it's no different. All the Bible points there. And in verse 37, I want you to just look right there, because this is so good. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for a man of peace. Wow. I think we all know who the... I think we all know who the blameless is, right? It ain't me. It ain't you. It's Jesus. So you and I ought to mark, put a dot on Jesus, right? Put a mark on Jesus. Behold our Savior, who is the only one who is upright. Because in him is a future. For he is the man that brings us peace. He suffered at the hands of sinners. He was killed. But behold this upright man now. Behold Christ right now. God raised him to life and seated him at his right hand in glory. Jesus is the ultimate man of peace. He brings us peace. God gave him the future. an everlasting kingdom that will never, ever pass away. Have you trusted Jesus today? Turning away from the wicked and the envy of them and followed the blameless, sinless Son of God, the upright Son of God for your sins. Will you trust him today? If you've never received that kind of an invitation, Today, I hope that you will turn from doing it your way and the envy of those who are doing it wrong. And you turn, that's called repentance, but turn and follow Jesus today. But ultimately, folks, many, most of you, I think, have probably trusted Christ in the past, right? That's a fair assumption. For a room like this, you guys have all trusted Jesus, but here we are still tempted by those who do wrong, right? We're still envious of those people in our life. You know what you need? You need to look to Jesus. You need the gospel. You might be that person filled with fear and anxiety about the state of the world, you might be that teenager who just wants to fit in. You might be that single person. You might be married today. Christ follower. You have 
have been obeying God, but you take out your phone, you turn on those apps, and you see something scary in the news, you see someone who looks happier than you do, who's having more fun than you are, and you're tempted. You know what you need? You need Christ. You still need him. Your sin is hidden in him. Your future is in him. And he should be the one that we trust, that we're satisfied in, that we find joy and our salvation in today. I want us just to close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed. The Bible says Jesus is coming. And he will judge the living and the dead. And God has given through him an eternal inheritance in heaven. Father, I pray that each and every one of us can hear the words of this psalm and, Lord, apply them to our lives. Lord, that we would not be filled with envy or fear, but, Lord, that we'd be filled with your love and your peace and your hope. That each person would keep their eyes looking up to Jesus. They'd keep their their actions and their motion moving toward the future, knowing that our hope is found in Jesus, not in anything else, but in Jesus. And we need you, Lord Jesus. We desire the gospel in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.